give you a little secret of mine. It started when I was in youth ministry and it's, it's moved on into, uh, into the pulpit and the pastorate. I love hearing God's people sing. I, I love that, that we don't have a choir, but that you are the choir. And, and I just wanna reinforce that, that we sing to an audience of one. This isn't a concert, but this is corporate worship. And uh, I tell you, I get the gift of, of both worlds. If, if you are worshiping with us for the first time this morning, we're a two-site church, right? So we have this small little site out, uh, underneath the bridges that we call Legacy. And uh, you can hear God's people singing there in a quiet little uh, intimate setting. Or you can come here and hear God's people singing uh, corporately in this, this bigger uh, setting. But whatever you have, however you feel led in worship, um, we serve the same God and we exist under the same purpose of love in this valley that they would know Christ. So, um, so welcome to you. I, I want to just uh, briefly update everybody on our visioning uh, process, where we're at with our elders. As you come into church the last couple Sundays, you've seen a big sign with words on it. Um, and, and those words uh, <clears throat> tell you a little bit about who we are. They're kind of the, the first fruits of where we're at with this visioning process. They came from the coffees that we had together as we're discerning where God's leading us as a church. Uh, I'm happy to report to you our visioning team has come up with uh, our core convictions and our core values, our core commitments as a church, um, and we're moving forward hastily into our visioning retreat in two weeks. And for those of you that remember Bill Inns, who is a coach and a pastor to me and to this church from afar, he's flying in to help us. And uh, so please, please hold that close in prayer. We'll be giving you reminders in the coming weeks to be praying for that. Um, it's a big step for our church. Uh, my prayer is that that gives us a direction, not just for tomorrow, but for years uh, to come. Um, <clears throat> but if you are visiting with us this morning, let me just catch you up as to where we're at. Um, we are in part three of a four-part series that we've called uh, Love This, Not That. And we're working our way through a short but solid book called 1 John in the New Testament in order to do that. Um, today, we're going to open up our Bibles, though, to chapter 3 of this letter of 1 John, chapter 3, uh, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 20. So if you have your Bibles open or we'll have it up on the screen, chapter 3 of 1 John, 11 through uh, 20. So let's listen to, uh, to God's word uh, today. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassured our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth, O oh God. 
The scripture reminds me of a story that's almost as old as time itself. And this particular story is really relevant for the holidays because it includes all the family dynamics you can think of. Two brothers hard at work in life. One is ragingly successful in all that he does. The other, no matter how hard he tries, he can't seem to get a win. Let me be a bit more specific than that. Um, one brings his sacrifices and worship before the Lord, and God's pleased with it. Uh, the other brings his sacrifice to the altar, but God sees his heart, and he's rejected entirely. Abel's favored, Cain not so much. And in Genesis 4, God comes to Cain with this warning that his jealousy is getting the best of him. And he says, Cain, sin is lurking at your door. It's going to destroy you. But Cain was so caught up with family politics that he wouldn't hear it. He couldn't handle the idea that his brother was more favored than him. And so for the first time in human history, jealousy and anger and even hatred rips a family to pieces. Just think about the reality of this. The first two brothers ever to walk the face of the earth, and Genesis tells us that story ends in murder. And ever since that tragic moment, we might not live into the same extremes, but we've certainly been plagued with the same dramas. We wrestle with jealousy and bitterness, anger and hatred. We find the same temptations not to listen to God because we we're too caught up with ourselves and our own agenda. And to this point, the letter of, of this first letter of John is really all about choices. The more that we study 1 John together, the more we can find there is this love this, not that mentality to this book. Two weeks ago, we began with this. Will you choose to love the light or choose to love the darkness? Last Sunday, we were faced with a second question. Will you choose to love the Father or will you love the things of this world? But this morning, the stakes go to an entirely new level because John says at the end of our day, our choices, our decisions really lead down to two things, life or death. And here's the contrast. John says this is what it all goes to. This is where it all boils down. If you want to see what evil looks like in its purest form, look no further than Cain himself. He was overcome with selfish thoughts and malicious deeds, and the scriptures make stark clear to us that like Cain, whoever fails to love abides in death. But if you want to know the contrast to this, John says this is how you might begin your search, and this is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. To choose that is to choose life. And I want us to really be careful here. Notice what John didn't say. Um, he didn't say we know what love is because Jesus told us all about it. He didn't say we know what love is because some philosopher years ago taught a course on love. He said we know what love is because Christ died for us. Actions speak louder than words. And for John, it's really, really simple. If that's true, he says, we should do the same thing. Let the world be like Cain. We should lay down our lives for each other. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. But then this is where things get really interesting. Look at this in verse 18. I love this. I think this is the most relevant verse. Uh, I opened it up a few weeks ago and thought, man, that speaks so clearly to our culture. Just listen to this. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. This is an endearing term, little children. 
It's the scripture's way of saying, listen to this, this matters for your life. Let me put it into contemporary language. Um, dear ones, talk is cheap. You know, we live in a day and age where you can find any word really on anything to suit your needs. You can get lost in words for hours and hours just trying to make sense of what they mean or what they say. Let me give you an example. Just this week, we watched uh, the impeachment trials of our president unfold on every media outlet imaginable. And depending on where you get your news, you can hear every side and every angle there is. Experts offer their testimonies. Lawyers give their viewpoints. Senators and congressmen offer their predictions. News channels all over the place with their commentary. We can't hardly keep up with the changing details and names and headlines. The tsunami of words is exhausting, is it not? And here's the tough part. We're not only weary of words, we've also grown skeptical of words. We live in the midst of movements like Me Too that's even now spilled over into movements like Church Too, where time and time again we are shocked by how these incredible leaders somehow fell far short of their actions and their lifestyles. We live in a world that's lost in the chaos of words. How do we even begin to decipher what's authentic and true anymore? That's the question that our world is asking us. How do I know that what you're telling me is even relevant and real? And we open up to God's word this morning, and this is what it says. I'm in a world that's contrasted by hatred and love. It all boils down, not only to the words that we speak, but to the lives that we live. If you want others to see the authenticity of our speech, it's got to begin with how we play those words out. Years ago, um, Jen and I went to an Alzheimer's seminar, and uh, we had found ourselves in this season just surrounded by a, a number of people who were suffering from dementia. And, and one of the things that we learned right off the bat was when it comes to memory loss, um, our actions are just as important as our words, when talking to somebody who has dementia, you can ask them, you can say, hey, go have a seat over there in that chair, and they'll have no idea what you mean. But if you point to the chair and you say those some words, come have a seat right here in this chair, and you pat on it, it's a night and day difference. They'll know exactly what you mean. We went back and tried it several times. If you know somebody with memory loss, work it out. It's hugely helpful. Let me give you another example, though. We were at a pretty good-sized pool with the girls this summer, and uh, I've never seen this before, but apparently lifeguards are now trained to walk out this repetitive routine as they're guarding the pool. I don't know if you've noticed this. It might be just for larger pools, but I watched as these guards would walk from left to right and left to right, and they would bob their heads up and down and up and down, and they would move their hand like this back and forth for hours on end. As I was getting out of the pool, I finally asked one of the lifeguards, I said, what's up with all the cool dance moves without the music? And uh, I could tell he loved the dad joke. No, but he said, he said, it's been proven that sitting and watching is really inadequate. He said, by moving and bobbing and pointing, I'm living out my safety checks. You know, I think whether you're Cain or Abel or a lifeguard or a follower of Christ, over time, the actions of our lives reveal the intentions and the authenticity of our hearts. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
And as much work, I'll, I'll confess, as preaching is, I have to say that when it comes to my faith, it's really, really easy. I can stand up here all day long and I can give you all the simple solutions for how God wants us to live our lives. Love the, dark, love the light, not the darkness. Love the Father, not the things of this world. The hard part for me, the hard part I think for all of us, hands down, is come Monday morning. The hard part's living into those words. Practicing the, preach, the things that you preach. And yet this is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. Years ago, a young mom was diagnosed with cancer, 36 years old. And the doctors had told her it was terminal. There really wasn't much that they could do for her. And so one doctor advised the woman, he said, I, I would advise that you spend the rest of your days just hanging out with your family, go to the beach. You don't have much time. You might as well enjoy what's left. The other doctor, he advised the, the woman to fight with radiation and chemo. Told her it's, it's gonna cause suffering and pain, but you might actually buy some time for your loved ones. We've seen this scenario play out before. Well, Focus on the Family magazine later published a letter that this woman wrote to her children as she was contemplating what to do. She was wondering, should I ride out this storm or should I fight it? And this is what she wrote to her kids. Look at this on your screens. She said, I've chosen to try to fight for you. The treatments will bring horrible costs, including pain, loss of good humor, and moods I won't even be able to control, but I must try, if only on the outside chance that I might live one minute longer. Because the minute, that minute, could be the one where you might need me and no one else will do. So chemo it is, and radiation it'll be. Let me just ask you, after reading that, would anyone question the love that this young mom had for her kids? I think it's one thing to say those famous three words, I love you, it's necessary, it's needed, we, we crave it, and to hear those words is important and life-giving, and yet it's entirely something different to make those words a part of what we do with our lives. I love the way one scholar asked it. He said, what is your doing saying? I think because for Christians, we've already heard it. This is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. But here's the part we miss, and we ought to do the same. The book, of James in first, uh, the book of James in chapter two up on your screens, it says this. Suppose a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? It goes on to say, so also faith by itself without works is dead. And our lesson this morning really offers a, a parallel to that. It says in verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes their heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Y'all know I like to get nerdy every once in a while. Um, the Greek word for seeing a brother in need, for seeing a brother in need, it's thore. And in its context, you would define that word not as just seeing, but as taking a long stare, a prolonged look at someone, a gaze. In other words, you've had time to process just what the needs are, what's at stake here. You've watched this play out for some time now, and here's the question our scripture would ask. Why in the world haven't we done something about it? How does God's love abide in someone who says all the right words but fails to live into them? John says this is the way that it was from the beginning. Love one another. 
If you look at this all the way back in Deuteronomy 15, seven through nine, it says this, if anyone is poor among you fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. If that's how we're called to love the stranger, how much more each other? There was once a, a farmer who had spent his entire life cutting up firewood by hand with a handsaw. And one morning as he gathered with some neighbors, he heard about this new technology that was revolutionizing the game. His neighbor called it a chainsaw. And he said, it cut my workload from weeks to just a few hours. You got to go get one. So the farmer was excited. He went down to the local shop and he bought one right on the spot. In fact, he was so thrilled that the salesman offered to give him a demo, but he walked right out the door. The next day, though, he came back with blisters all over his hands. The salesman was like, what happened? And the farmer said, I sawed back and forth all day long with this thing, and I only got through two logs. The salesman said, well, let's have a look. He pulled the saw from the box, and immediately he noticed the chain still sitting at the bottom in the original package. He said, well, you forgot to put the chain on. The farmer said, I thought that was for hanging it up in the shop. <laughs> what good is a chainsaw without a chain? What, what good is our word without our deed? I want to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about actions and truth. Deed and authenticity. Why would God's word put those two things together? I appreciated Becca's primer because she said we're going to get involved and make you do things this morning. Everybody warm your hands up for a minute. I've got to pull. Who has ever made a promise to someone? Okay, the rest of us that didn't raise our hands are sleeping. That's good. Don't raise your hand for this. Just consider this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important was it that you lived out that promise? Now let me ask another poll. This is a raise your hand one. Who has ever had someone break a promise to them? The next time they made you a promise, did you believe that they would carry it through? See, which one has more credibility is what I'm trying to get at. A, a promise lived out or a promise that culminates with just words? I think the love that we share in Christ can't just be what we talk about. Um, Christ made it tangible and we should too. When we look at our lives and our relationships, is our love contagious? When we consider how others see our interaction, does it communicate the love of Christ or something that just the world has to offer? When we think about that, that person in need in our lives, are we compelled to make a difference or do we just talk about it, think about it? Do they see Christ in us or are we just another monologue taking his place on stage? Jeff Kaufman, who is uh, one of our new elders, attends out at the Legacy site and um, asked her if I could share a story uh, this, this morning. A few weeks ago, I was sitting at a coffee shop and I, I overheard someone talking about this guy they had just met. They were like, yeah, I think his name was Jeff Kaufman. And at first I thought, don't listen, Ryan, that's coffee shop gossip. <laughs> but they were talking so loudly that the entire store could hear it, so now it's public information and I'm giving it to you. But the other person so he said, yeah, I know Jeff well. He said, I can't tell you how many times Jeff's helped me. The man will give his shirt off his back. And here's why I pick on Jeff. Um, Jeff taught me this firsthand. He said, if you're going to lead, you've got to know you're in a fishbowl. Do you realize how many people are watching you? 
I mean, this might be a boom town, but this is still a, a small town where everybody knows everybody. You go out to Manhattan or Churchill, all the more the reality. Someone saw you order that grande Starbucks eggnog latte double shot espresso this week. They saw how you treated the person who handed it to you for good or ill. Someone will be watching you in a few weeks with your kids at the Christmas stroll this year. They'll watch how you deal with that overtired, over-sugared temper tantrum. Someone followed behind your car this morning to church, and they witnessed you turn right into Spring Hill. They noticed your courtesy or your lack thereof. Someone found out through the grapevine that you were a member over at Spring Hill Church, and they either heard about God's love in this place, or they didn't. If we're going to lead them to Christ, the first thing we've got to do is love like he did. But I think here's the hiccup. Um, it's the most stressful time of the year. And, and as holidays kick in gear, I think we stumble not only with our words, but with our deeds, with our actions. And sometimes we end up looking more like Cain than we do Christ. Which begs the question, what happens when our lives don't add up like they should? I mean, I won't ask for a poll here, but we've all dropped that ball. Whether with family or, or friends or a, a neighbor or even that store clerk. The good news is this. I think even when we fail in our endeavors, we follow one whose actions fulfilled every word that ever came off his lips. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus said. I lay down my life for the sheep. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As the father loves me, so I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one who would lay down his life for his friends. Because in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and will take you to myself so that you might be where I am too. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but let our actions authenticate the words that we so casually speak. And I think it, when it came to this idea of living into your faith. There's really no one who I know that, that did this better than Martin Luther. He was one of the greats. And he once said it like this. He said, we are certainly justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. I think the faith that we profess is, is naked without works. We're just this valley of, of dry bones. If, if it's all talk and no action, you can bet it's no faith. Talk is cheap. Here's how Jesus himself said it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for teaching us what love is, but not just with your words, but with your actions. God, your word spoken is enough. Your gospel is more than enough. Lord, and yet you chose to live out your word on the cross and die for us. So God, we confess for those times when we haven't done the same within this room, within our families, with our relationships with others. God, would you help us? Lord, not just to know your word, but to, 
and dwell with it. Lord, to live it out, to make it a lifestyle. God, would you help us do that this week? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.